Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. So we're going to talk about a super interesting topic today. Some of you may remember this case that came out a couple of years ago. It's referred to as Castro Ramirez. We're going to talk about that because I want to look at the scope of associational discrimination under the Fair Employment and Housing Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act. Why? Here's the deal. As you probably know, there are four categories of people who are protected in terms of discrimination under the ADA and the Fair Employment Housing Act here in California. Category number one are people who have a disability, right? They have a physical or mental condition that limits a major life activity. Category number two are people who have a record of a disability. Somebody, for example, who may have had cancer but is in remission. They're not currently disabled, all right? Category number three are people who we regard as being disabled. They're actually not, but we think they are. Let me give you an example. I did a pro bono case a couple of years ago uh, for a gentleman involved in Desert Storm, and he was injured and burned pretty badly, and as coming out of the military, he wanted to work in a child care center. He had taken all the child care classes. He was certified. He did everything he was supposed to do. But he goes to apply at this child care center, and they told him that they thought the children would be afraid by his scars. Okay? Get this. Not about whether he's qualified to teach. Not about whether he can communicate with the babies. Not about whether he's got all of his requirements. But they used a stereotype to basically say, we think the kids are going to be freaked out. Well, long story short, we went to court. And the court allowed us to interview some kids. And it turned out the kids were not upset at all. The parents were freaked out, okay, but the kids weren't. One little girl looked at him and said, oh, did you ask your mommy to kiss it and make it better? How cute is that? Another little boy looked at him and said, wow, you're having a rough day. Didn't say anything else. And then you want to play trucks, right? These kids were not impacted at all by what this guy looked like. And he could clearly perform the job. So we were able to argue that the company was regarding him as disabled. He wasn't disabled, but they were regarding him as disabled. And that violated the law. The fourth category of protected individuals are folks who have an association or relationship with somebody who's disabled. They're not disabled themselves, but maybe they have a son or a daughter or a best friend or a mom who is disabled. Now, of those four categories, all four of them contain protections against discrimination. So nobody can be discriminated against because they have a disability, they used to have a disability, we think they have a disability, or they know someone with a disability. Okay, those are those four categories. Only people in the first category, though, are entitled to accommodation. Because remember, the second, third, and fourth categories, they're not disabled, right? They aren't differently abled at all. They're fine. They may have a record, they may be regarded as, or they may have an association, but they're, they don't need an accommodation because they're not disabled. So, long wind up for me to tell you what's going on here. 
In the Castro Ramirez case, there was an employee who sued his employer. Employer's name was Dependable Highway Express, Inc. He said, you're discriminating against me based on my relationship with my son, so my association with my son, and he added a failure to accommodate claim. Now, it turned out the employee's son required daily dialysis, which the employee provided. And as the son grew um, taller and heavier, it was really only the dad, the employee, who could provide the service. So the company had always allowed him to work a pretty unique schedule so he could take off a couple times during the day. He lived very close to the workplace to go give his son his treatments. However, a new supervisor joined the team and basically said, well, you're not going to work that schedule. You're not disabled. You don't need a different schedule and told him, you're not going to do that. This is your shift. Take it or leave it. The employee said, I can't. I have to take care of my son. And the supervisor said, fine, you're terminated. Okay. So what the court ended up saying after two decisions, okay, it went up and back a few times, was, look, the employee is entitled, is not entitled to accommodations because he's not disabled. But you can't discriminate against him on the basis of his son's disability. By doing so, you are discriminating based on association. Okay, you with me? And the reason that they called it discrimination and not failure to accommodate is because there was no logical explanation for the company to change the schedule that they had always given him. They had always been flexible. There was no problem with his work performance. Nothing changed in what the company was having to do for its clients. The supervisor just didn't want someone to be working a different schedule. So after that case, there was a lot of discussion about associational discrimination, but we still don't have a California Supreme Court decision um, that addresses the issue. Fast forward to a couple of weeks ago where the EEOC settled a case of associational discrimination on behalf of a teacher, okay? And in that particular case, what happened was the teacher was taking care of her daughter, okay, and her daughter clearly had a disability. There was no question about that. And the teacher was very upfront about what she needed to do to care for the daughter. And the school said, well, it doesn't sound like, I mean, I can't even believe this. It doesn't sound like you'll be fully committed to your job. So she explains that she needs a little flexibility to take care of the daughter, and their response is, well, you don't seem fully committed. Okay, so they ended up not giving her the job because they said, you're not going to be committed. You, you've got this stuff at home you've got to deal with, so we're not going to hire you. And the EEOC said, you know what? That is associational discrimination. They had no legitimate reason. They had no data to back them up. They had nothing to show that she wasn't going to do a perfectly good job. They were basing it on the stereotype of, oh, if you have a sick kid, you're going to need to be with your sick kid all the time and you're not going to be committed to your job. Maybe they had a prior employee who took things that way. But this employee was fully ready to do what she needed to do. So that case, which settled for about $86,000, really 
reminded me of the importance of associational discrimination, that you have to really think through what decisions you're making when it comes to your employees' association with other people. Because when those folks are disabled, okay, or differently abled, they are entitled the employee is entitled to be free of discrimination because of their relationship with that person, okay? So the employee is entitled to be treated fairly and consistently despite that relationship. And one of the things that we find a lot in the human resources area and I don't care in your organization if you call it HR or return to work or reasonable accommodation coordinator or EEOC officer, whatever. When you're talking about people needing to balance their work and their home, you have to be very careful, okay? It's not that you don't have a right as the employer to demand loyalty and commitment and getting the job done. You absolutely do. But you want to be very careful about stereotypes or biases that you may have that reflect negatively on someone because, as in this recent EEO settlement, the mom has to take care of her daughter. Or as in Castro Ramirez, the father has to take care of his son. Those kind of stereotypes and biases will get you in trouble every time. Now, as I always say to you, I'm not worried about you doing this correctly. I'm worried about you making sure the people who you're leading are doing it correctly. So NHR, EEO, return to work, reasonable accommodation, whatever it is, you are trying to work with the leaders in your organization. You're trying to get them to do the right thing. You're trying to teach them what the law requires, what they need to be able to do. And that is something that takes energy and takes effort. Just like last week when we talked about managing leaves of absence, it's the same thing here. We have to really train our leaders to understand how to make the right decisions, the most fair decisions. And when it comes to associational discrimination, we don't have a lot of court decisions. We don't have a lot of guidance. So what we have to do is make sure that there's a legitimate reason for every single thing we're doing. If, for example, in Castro Ramirez, the operations had changed and the company needed everyone to be available at a particular time, maybe they would have had the argument of changing that employee's schedule, changing everybody's schedule, not just that employee's, by the way, which is what the supervisor did to better accommodate the operations of the company. That's going to be legitimate. But when you can't explain why you are doing something and you have an employee who says, I literally can't do it, you need to take a look at it. You may still stick with the same decision. Look, I can't do it. I want to do what you want. I can't. I had an accommodation request a couple of months ago where somebody in a state agency wanted to only work at night because they said they have a medical condition that makes it hard for them to be out in the daylight, which was documented. But they work in a very large building downtown. And what she had asked for was to have every light on, the HVAC system going, and she knew that there would be no supervisor or security guard there to work with her. And the agency said, that's not reasonable. 
We know you want it, we get it, but we can't give it to you. You don't always have to say yes, but you have to have a legitimate reason for saying no. And that really comes up in these associational issues because as you can imagine, they are very emotional cases, right? Where people are taking care of close family members. They don't want to have to choose between their job and their family member. That is why the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act and the California Family Rights Act were passed in the first place so that employees didn't have to make that choice. That is why President Clinton, when he signed the FMLA into law, had a bunch of folks from different workplaces in the White House saying, hey, these people would have had to choose between work and their families. They don't have to do that anymore because of the FMLA. So this is a very important commitment that we have to employees. Obviously, in this day and age, when you have so many employees leaving and a hard time recruiting, and we are all sort of struggling to figure out what the heck do we do for retention and how do we recruit the best people, you don't want to do anything that is already creating a problem or a feeling that you're not taking care of your employees. So when it comes to these associational issues, when somebody asks for something special, they want a schedule, for example, that's usually what it is. They want to have a specific schedule or they want to bring their child to work because maybe there are certain days of the week when a caregiver is not available. They want to know if they can bring their child and they tell you the child is not going to be disruptive. This is how I could do it. This is how I could make it work. You've got to think about it. You got to give it a chance. Maybe you'll ultimately decide that you can't do it, but you've got to give it a chance. That is how you can avoid these associational discrimination claims. You also want to make sure in your policies and procedures that you address associational discrimination and you are clear about how those sorts of requests will be handled. So again, individuals are not entitled to an accommodation for a disability unless they're the ones who have the disability, right? So the employee or the applicant would need to have the disability, but they are protected against discrimination. And that is important to keep in mind, no matter what decisions are being made, this is sort of a lens that you always want to have on so you can issue spot and identify potential problems. Okay, everyone. Well, that is associational discrimination. I am so happy you joined me here today. I just hope you're enjoying your bike ride or your walk or your drive to work or your Peloton or wherever, um, you, you know, whatever you're doing when you choose to listen to this podcast. But I am so honored and privileged that you are spending this time with me. Again, any suggestions, feedback, send it my way, jshaw at shawlawgroup.com. Thank you again. Have a wonderful day. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to spread the word, please share it with others, post about it on social media and or rate and review it. Of course, you can also follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter and email us at info at Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction.